But you can buy giant, giant Reese's peanut butter cups and ride like seven different wooden roller coasters in Hershey. That's pretty cool. Hershey Park is amazing. Yeah. But their chocolate tastes tastes like wax. So... Not in a Reese's peanut butter the cup. The Hershey bars taste like wax, but if you come at me with my perfect Hershey Reese's peanut butter cups, nice. okay. What you find me a better Reese's? You find me a better peanut butter cup? You gonna say you know what the stupid Justin's peanut butter cups? Right, no, that's true. That ain't it. No, but you know what is the best? It's not what? just Reese's. It's the Reese's um, like holiday shapes. Yes, the Reese's that's, holiday line. That was it. Is be the my perfect question. ratio of chocolate to peanut butter? Yeah. Yeah. Which one of those is the best Which shape? One? I can't tell you. Right, I have this argument with Deb quite frequently. This is what I mean, me and Aaron. I feel argue like for you, the Christmas tree is probably out. So you're. I'm going to say you're going to say pumpkin. That's the safe one for you. It's not the. It's not going to be the Easter egg or the Christmas tree. Huh. It's the pumpkin. What else do they have? <laughs> I don't have a problem with the Christmas tree. They have a bell. Maybe they saying. have a bell. Like why they got a? No, it's just a Christmas tree, a pumpkin, and a. A uh, Easter egg. Yeah. I mean, it's just a vaguely oval shaped. Yeah. Egg. Uh, yep. They don't. They don't. They don't put like Christ on it or anything. No, no, no. And I, it's just a pine tree. So I, <clears throat> I think the egg's the perfect shape because yeah. it's the easiest yeah, to hold on round. to. Right. It's easiest to hold sure. on to. It's easiest to ration and proportion. Right. I don't know if you. Uh, mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. to take small mm-hmm. bites and savor. No, I just put the whole thing in my mouth because. Oh, that's a lot. The move. The, no, 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 no. The move, you get the mini versions because they have I those I like the now. mini. Same proportion of chocolate to peanut butter, but smaller. And you just put the whole thing in your mouth? No, the proportion yeah, is different. 30, 30 of them. The chocolate layer is thicker. <laughs> 30 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have a whole episode. Wow. Okay. Should we just do a cold open of this? This is the beginning of season four. I was talking just about like the perfect ratio in. of peanut yeah. butter to oh, chocolate. I have, I have no problem with that. Establishing connection to science night. Please stand by. Welcome back to another edition of the Science Night Podcast. We're back with a new season, a new logo, but the same world-class icon that you have come to expect and tolerate. But if it's your first time hearing us... My name is James, and with me, as always, is Steffi. Hey. And Jason. What's up? And tonight, we're recapping our summer of Tycon, talking about some robots with self-destructive behaviors, writing on water, and we'll finish up with a story about how our bodies are not prepped for launch quite yet. There's so much to do in this season premiere of season four of the podcast, so let's get into it. We're starting up a new year, and just like everyone on their first day back from summer vacation, I feel like we gotta talk about what we did over our summer of SciComm. And just as a reminder, if you checked out for the summer, I don't know what you were doing, probably having fun on the beach without podcasts, but we got eight episodes of bite-sized SciComm just waiting for you to listen on our feed. So what do we do this summer? I went to the best four days in gaming Gen Con in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, where you can see one of the best sunsets you'll ever lay eyes on. That was really fun. I love going to Gen Con. I live there every day, but uh, there are only four days of the year that are the best days in gaming. That's true. The rest of the days of the year are the second best days in gaming, I guess. 
My my experiment is running. Like we built it for three and a half years, and we turned it on this summer, and it it works. Like that's, that's awesome. It works. Nobody like tripped over the extension cord and it shut off right after you started it or anything like that. And you all turn around. And you're like Melvin. Okay, so there was this day where half the control room power went out because someone hit a circuit breaker in the in the hallway, and then fixing that, they cut the power to the other half of the control room, and then that did not go well from the rest of the day. So conclusion. That happened, but we're mm-hmm. fine now. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. There's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> and also around, because it is a circular tokamak. That's right. So that's correct, too. Yep. Jason, what'd you do this summer? Anything fun? You know, actually, I did. My family and I took a cruise up to Alaska, which was <gasps> amazing. One of the things that made that really special is that my mother-in-law was with us. She had been on a cruise about 10 years ago. To the same area, right? And we cruised through Glacier Bay. And it was really important for me to have my children see Glacier Bay now so they can understand mm-hmm. what climate change means and what it's doing to pristine environments like that, which, by the way, are still just absolutely breathtaking. But my mother-in-law, who had been on this trip about 10 years earlier, was really saddened by how much it looked different. Mm-hmm. The glaciers were much further receded than, than she remembers them. We couldn't get as close as she had was able to get previously because uh, the ecosystems were sort of breaking down a little bit and they were trying to keep ships farther away. And she kept saying, you know, how did we let this get so bad? We have to tell people about this. And it, I thought it was really impactful for my kids to hear someone of her generation talking about this. They hear about it all the time and think about it all the time, right? What is their world going to be like um, when climate is, you know, continues to change? And uh, my mother-in-law, her generation, they don't think about that. And, you know, that's, they don't think about it the same way. Um, so I thought it was, that was really, it was really cool, but also really sad. Yeah. Yeah. I've been running a couple of focus groups where we talk about energy transitions and things like that. And on a daily basis, like I am thinking about climate change and the pressure to do something about it. So it's just like my norm. And so when you're having engaging these people to think about that for four hours, I had them like say one word at the end of the day to like describe how they were where they were at. And several people said just depressing. And I'm like, oh, oh, no, this is like my norm. I'm almost (laughs) numb to it. Right. You know, this kind of was the summer of climate change, right? We had wildfires everywhere. We had giant storms also everywhere, similarly everywhere, just just not where the fires were, which was kind of inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in New England, so we were in a perpetual state of either like choked out by smoke from Canadian wire fi- wildfires or drowning in weeks and weeks and weeks of, of rain. Famously, the state in which I call home, Vermont, uh, the governor had to take a kayak to work. Uh, so that was, you know, that was also, that was very Vermont. But also... Kind of sad, because our entire capital was literally underwater. I guess that was my fun summer vacation. You know, to further underscore that, James, um, you know, this summer was the summer of climate change. And I think the same thing can be said for the last five or six summers, right? And it's worse every year. And that, I think, is what really is sounding the alarm for maybe Mm -hmm. a generation that wasn't thinking about it as much as they need to be now. It is like depressing when you get into the weeds and think about it, but when you think about the technology coming down the line and the innovations mm-hmm. that sure. people are able to do now because we've advanced with a lot of different, you know, sectors of technology, like that gives me hope. Speaking about hopeful advanced technologies, let's move to our first story. 
Here at the Science Night Podcast, we pride ourselves on bringing you some of the stranger things coming out of the scientific enterprise, so it shouldn't surprise you that when I saw a story about a soft robot that can self-destruct by melting into a pile of goo, I sprinted to the Google Doc for this episode to add it. Before we talk about the uses for this device, let's talk about the actual story itself. So a team from Seoul National University has developed a robot made of a material that, when exposed to an internal UV light, melts into a puddle of goo, which would be great for sustainability since we wouldn't have a bunch of discarded tiny robots just laying around choking up our streets. Except... This puddle of goo does contain a bunch of fluorine, so that's not great. But overall, we got these little bespoke robots that can be used for a job, and then destruct afterward. What do we think about these big implications for these tiny melting robots? First of all, they're really cute. Like the little example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you look at the first thing you p- image you see is the goo-ified robot mm-hmm. at the end of its life cycle. <laughs> and then you see this tiny little four-legged inchworm little yeah, robot. Inchworm. It's a right? very good descriptor, right? Like yeah. I was yeah. thinking about just watching it move. And <laughs> yeah. And then the, I think it's fascinating because historically, you know, we're, we look at like robots that we're familiar with and they're very rigid and they can only travel on certain terrains, do certain tasks. But when you go to this like soft robot model, they can navigate in more spaces. They can articulate mm-hmm. and interact with more delicate tissue and things like that. So I find that fascinating. And then you throw in like yeah. the self-destruct capability. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. But it's not really self-destruct, right? It's self-change the shape, but it still leaves a puddle of goo <laughs> that does not actually dissipate, to my knowledge. Right. It looks, I think it stays there, right? And so I see this as a really interesting advance in soft robot technology, but we did a story several episodes back last season about um, metal, right? Metal robots. And to me, that could form and then potentially reform, right? Um, Although we hadn't quite gotten there yet. Potentially after they cut the video and then put a newly formed robot in place of it. Understood. (laughs) Magic happens. But but nevertheless, (laughs) nevertheless, that seems infinitely more possible than... Um, like taking the UV exposure away from this plastic robot that is now goo and allowing it to reform into some harder object or shaped object, right? I don't see that happening, but I could see it happening with um, the magnetism of the metal, mm-hmm. you know, much easier. So I I think that this is, it's cool that we see this, but I don't see applications for this. I really don't that are going to be Ooh. environmentally friendly. And I know that that's maybe not the right thing to say, uh, but I don't see them. I saw one of the popular reportings pick up on exactly what this is going to be used for, and it is for spying. This is like, hey, (laughs) this is going to be used for spy spy missions. Right. They're going to put little cameras on it, and you're going to be able to go up, and you're going to spy, and it's going to melt into a puddle of goo. Yeah, I I totally agree. Right. But if it melts into a puddle of goo, right, that camera will still be there, right? So there's that. Um, Well... I, I just, why would the metal not be a better alternative for that, right? Where it could just melt, <laughs> get through another mm. space, and then leave. I think it depends on, like, the environment that it's traveling through, too, right? That's true. Absolutely true. I just, I guess I just don't see the purpose of having something that is so small that's then going to just self-destruct, but actually not leave, right? So if mm. it's if it's performing, in, like, if it's if it's spying on someone, right, and it's got a bug... 
Yeah. Um, and it's carrying a microphone and you're listening. And uh, the idea of a bug is to not be detected. If it decides to self-destruct and leaves that microphone behind, it can still be detected. I, I don't know. I just don't see that. Yeah, but you're not thinking about the comedy aspects, Jason. <laughs> it could melt into a puddle of goo and then you could slip on it like a banana peel. There you oh, go. That would be fun. I see. You're right. Or um, they could they could collect them and resell them as like uh, fake vomit. Right. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Secondary market. That's where the I sustainability see. comes in. Exactly. See, now we're thinking. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Climbed a rung of the ladder, in my uh, my opinion, on that one. I mean, that exactly. was that was my same first thought too. Especially when they said it's for sustainable environment for robotic systems. I'm like, really? Right. Sustainable? Mm-hmm. How? Really? Right. <laughs> Yeah, also very toxic, highly toxic and carcinogenic. Well, that's why they had to add calcium chloride to help neutralize those compounds, but yeah. Did they yeah. hold – so that was the one thing I noticed. Like, they said they added calcium chloride to neutralize those compounds. Did they add it in the mix of the robot, or did they just, like, go by and sprinkle it on afterwards? <laughs> because if they added it to the mix, that makes it more sustainable. If you have a second act where you need to sprinkle it on like kitty litter. Well, it doesn't make it more sustainable. It makes it more environmentally friendly, but not sustainable, sure. right? It just makes that's it less true. toxic. This is when you have another robot go in there and bring in <laughs> calcium chloride. One made out of calcium chloride. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right, because uh, it defeats the purpose of having this inchworm inch its way into yeah. a spying location if you then right? have to go in manually and don't. No, I read it as it was mixed Calcium in, chloride. But now I have this picture okay. of another little calcium chloride inchworm carrying and dropping and then going back. Well, I for one can't wait to see what Halliburton does with these little self-destructing robots. I'm sure it'll be done for good and no problems whatsoever. But uh, why don't we take a break? And we listened to a message about an exciting new opportunity for you to spend your money on on our website. Hey, James, is that a new shirt you're wearing? Sure is. Sure is. So here's the thing. We got this new logo. I had a, a peak of, of uh, creativity and, and uh, mania, and I decided, you know what we need is a new logo for our new season. I was like, you know what we also need? The opportunity to sell new merchandise items to our fans and supporters. So I made up this new t-shirt. What do you think? It's oh, nice. I love the fuchsia color. Does it come in leggings? Yeah. Fuchsia yeah. leggings too? Uh, sure. Thank you for, for making sure I have a fuchsia option for oh. our t-shirt line now. And I'm sure that I can just do that. Uh, Magic. Man. I love this design. I love these colors. I love the quality of this t-shirt. I just wish there was a convenient place where all of our listeners and fans and supporters and people of of quality could easily get these. But I just can't think of a place to put them. Um, Don't we have a website? Oh, we do have that obscure website, cyanide.com slash merch, where we have all of our oh. other things, including our Nine Inch Snails line, and uh, I think we still have our Summer SciComm logo up there and stuff. Man, maybe I will just put them on cyanide.com slash merch so they can go and get our new logo t-shirts today. Art, written language, the ability to create a symbolic representation of an abstract idea, it's one of the unique features of our humanity. Basically, if given a blank canvas, 
we're going to try to find a way to fill it. And a new pen may have locked a whole new medium. A joint effort between Johannes Gutenberg University in Germany and Haosheng University of Science and Technology in China has created a 50-micron wide bead that can create an image on water by exchanging ions, creating a slightly more acidic trail behind it, which then pulls in particles, creating lines that are visible under a microscope. Basically, it is like an aquatic etch-a-sketch. So what do we think about the opportunity to write on water? Write or draw on water. It's so tiny. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. so precise. So when we're talking about like a 50 micron wide be- like beam, the human hair is 70 microns. Yep. So this is exactly. so small. It is. Thus the need for a microscope. Mm-hmm. Speaking of things that we can't immediately find an application for. Jason, what do you what do you think about this story? It's going to be used for spying, right? I mean, <laughs> that's all yeah. I can think of. It's like, a, like, this is how you write on microfilm or whatever the uh, equivalent in water is now. Mm. I'm not sure. It's cool. It's really an interesting way to think about writing something that isn't, doesn't have permanence. Although that, mm-hmm. that was the argument, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure that that's true because the water pH has changed. And I don't think that that just dissipates. I don't know that that's, you know, the pH is going to go back to what it was before. They make the water more acidic. Um, It's not going to go back and be more neutral. So locally it is, right? Um, Like nature likes to be, find the minimum energy state, minimum any kind of of state. So you're going to get some dissipation anytime there's a gradient in any kind of phenomenon. So that's why this one will only last for like 15 minutes because you're going to get some transport. Of the material. Right, but overall, it's still going to change the pH of I that. I see what you're saying. Right, of the total volume of water that's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't see, I don't see how that's, that this is going to have like large scale applications by any stretch, because when you start introducing water with that much acidity in it, right, um, into environments without neutralizing that, um, which then adds all sorts of other potential contaminants into the environment, you've got a real problem, right? So I see mm. I see the novelty of this. I think it's great. The biggest application that was spun at the very outset of this article was about new applications for art, which is awesome. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's, I think, where maybe it ends, right? And yeah. so, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what the, applica- what the applicability of this kind of technology will be. Now, that said, I am always excited to see when something is used for something new. And so I look forward to seeing where this may go, assuming it's used for good. I think that's what, you know, fundamental science, sometimes it's really hard to understand where right. the potential could go until you're exactly. like decades down the line and you're like, oh my gosh, how did we get from ionizing gas? to fusion energy exactly so you know science for science discovery sake i am fully in support of um i think this is cool very cool Mm -hmm. and um you know and a very cool application i just don't i don't at this point see how this is going to be used for anything you know maybe that's the reason we got to talk about stuff like this is so we can be like hey you're gonna read a popular reporting thing and they're gonna be like this is dumb why did they do it but like we got to remember like one one drop in the scientific method leads to other drops potentially, or it just is a 
dead end and nothing happens. But that's also fun, too. Then we get to learn about how things don't work. There are unexpected things that could happen you know potentially there is an entire gantry system that is moving but i guess what we didn't talk about is that the bead itself is not moving the water is moving around it so there's like a very very um finely tuned table motorized table that's like moving the water around so you're not like splashing water everywhere and you can actually keep these lines so it could turn out that right. that is the thing mm-hmm. that like changes the world down yeah, exactly the road. there could yeah. be all sorts of other you know things that are necessary to make this work that might have applicability somewhere else and that's what comes from this right um and so you're absolutely right i yeah. think uh, we fail to see the importance of science when we look for absolute applicability at the outset Um, And that is one of the fundamental differences between approaches to science that are funded by, say, the National Science Foundation, where they adopt that approach, right? Science for discovery itself is important, Um, whereas the National Mm Institutes of Health, you have to have um, a health application, and it has to be clear how how putting money toward this particular research is going to advance a cure or a treatment um, or understand um, a medical phenomenon in a different way. Um, and so, you know, the applicability is is seen immediately, right? It has to be. It has to be at the forefront. Yeah, totally agree. I'm also going to go back to, like, how they're changing the pH really quick. Nice, please. Like, historically, when we think of changing the pH of a fluid, you're you're changing the composition of, like, the chemicals in there. You're adding something to it. I'm going to give an example. Has anyone had, like, butterfly blue tea or blue tea? Yes. It's like this cobalt blue, and then you add lemon juice to it to change the pH, and then it turns bright purple. Pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Um, you're not actually changing the composition in here. They're using the device to exchange ions in the material around it to change the pH. So then you have different levels of pH. Yeah. So then in this case, it's a reversible process locally. Thank you yeah. for clarifying that. So that makes yeah. that makes it a lot more potentially applicable or yeah. usable on a large scale, right? Yeah. That still also gives you like, like the lifetime is limited too. Um, I guess we have to make a new segment where she clears up the diffusion. Confusion, <laughs> right? That's very good. I did that. Well, why don't we move on to another topic that has both discovery and health implications? Space. It's the final frontier, but our squishy human bodies are the product of millions of years of evolution to thrive in our very earthling environment. Radiation, lack of gravity, even the months of isolation are almost as big a hurdle as the engineering breakthroughs necessary to boldly go where no person has gone before. But in an article for The Conversation, Rachel Seidler describes all the fancy science being done to find ways to protect our astronauts. So what do we think about this other side of this space travel conundrum? It was really interesting to think about like how much radiation is just bombarding mm-hmm. you when you're in space. I definitely don't think about that, even though I know like the biggest part of any kind of like spacecraft and definitely interstellar craft is going to be radiation shielding. We learned that from five years to Mars. There was just so mm-hmm. many radiation well, shielding cards. Well, we don't think about the natural natural radiation shield that we have around the earth which is the ionosphere which is a plasma right which is just deflecting all of this yes (laughs) 
That's what saves our lives. She's just here for big plasma. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just another big plasma <laughs> well, show. And my audio cut out when you were introducing the article, so I can't even go after. I, I'm like useless at this yeah. point. What do you want? Okay, go. <laughs> I'll jump in. Yeah, yeah. So here we go. The article is talking about three big problems facing the human body in space. Radiation, lack of gravity, and oh, isolation. That's really bad. The effect on our fragile mm-hmm. human psyches. Yeah, it's super harsh out there. Yeah. It's true. Right? It's almost like we were evolved to not be in space. Right. Well, absolutely. We were. We were we were evolved. We evolved to live in an environment that is under the gravity that that we're in, right? That we're under here on the surface of this planet. Mm-hmm. Um, not in an environment where we have none of that gravity working on us or a very small proportion of it, right? Right. So, you know, we have problems. One of the things that like just blew my mind was this idea that uh, without gravity, blood tends to pool toward the brain, oh. right? Um, which mm-hmm. is interesting. I mean, it's not surprising to me um, that it's going to go where the highest amount of energy is when there's not something else, act, another force acting on it, right? To me, that was strange. And so what it ends up doing is, uh, you know, swelling the areas, really inflating those blood vessels around the brain. And then the brain, you know, sits a little bit higher up in the skull too, because there's not gravity pulling down. Oh my and so gosh. it pushes it up against the top of the skull. Mm-hmm. And this can actually lead to problems with vision because the back of the eye gets flattened a little bit. <gasps> and so astronauts have complained about this, um, that it affects their vision. It doesn't completely cut them off from seeing, but it does change their vision, make it considerably um, less precise than it was, and that that anecdotally can last for a long time after they return um, before that restores. So that to me was like blew my mind. Um, I had no idea about that. Most of the stuff that I'm aware of, just based on my history of, you know, interest in bone research is the microgravity effects on bone, right? Mm -hmm. And muscle. And so Mm -hmm. without gravity working on uh, working on the bones, there's a lot of bone loss, right, from disuse. Because our, our muscles typically pull on our bones. They you know pull on them, they bend them, and that creates all sorts of micro cracks in our bones, which causes the bone to turn over and make itself strong again. When you don't have that happening, bone cells that just eat away bone that's old will continue to ramp up, but you're not going to be forming new bone because there's not going to be forming these cracks. And so you end up losing bone mass from disuse. You can also lose muscle mass in space without the gravity effects. Um, and so they have to do, you know, astronauts have to do lots of exercise while they're there, but it's not enough to mitigate the effects of bone loss. And so, you know, one of the things that astronauts will have to consider or will have to probably um, be treated with are osteoporosis drugs called bisphosphonates, uh, which are what we call a class of anti-catabolic drugs, which means that they don't build bone. They actually stop the breakdown of bone. And so you give that to osteoporosis patients because you want to stop them from losing more bone than they need to, right? Um, that actually leads to all sorts of other problems because the bone that's not being consumed and remodeled out isn't being replaced with stronger bone. So you've got a lot of or higher volume of low quality bone, right? So that could lead to fracture too. Uh, for different reasons. But astronauts are going to have to be treated with bisphosphonates in order to um, mitigate that bone loss in some way because they can't get enough exercise 
to get their muscles to pull enough and bend enough on the bones to keep that bone from from losing mass. So you know that's another one of those effects uh, of microgravity. Those things just blow my mind, right? Especially when we consider that, like, yeah, we are the product of evolution over millions and millions of years. And this is like stressing the human body to a limit it has never been stressed. Yeah. And in ways it has never been stressed before. It's demonstrating another thing. There's all this hype about colonizing other places, right? There's this big push to do that as like the way to save humanity. But we're kind of seeing here that, say, the journey to Mars, to colonize Mars, by the time that that first group of people who are going to set out to build a habitat on Mars get there, they're going to be irradiated, they're going to have low bone and muscle mass, and they're going to have some mental issues potentially from the months and months of isolation and confined spaces. Uh, So they're going to get to Mars not in a great shape uh, where they're going to have to build a new established community on a planet that is not very hospitable. I mean, it just doesn't seem like a great answer. And maybe a better answer is to like, hey, we, we got a planet that we are like built to be on right now. As far as climate change is concerned, maybe not so much in a couple generations, but let's try and fix this one rather than looking to the stars for our answer. That's what I kind of was thinking in the back of my head as I read this article. I mean, I always knew that going, you know, people going to Mars, it was a one-way trip, but I didn't think about like all the adverse impacts from that travel that would just have these dramatic impacts on them. I guess you can do a lot of shielding Mm -hmm. inside Mm -hmm. during the journey and stuff like that to help mitigate the radiation impacts. But then like the gravitational impacts, yeah. Well, that's a bit of a downer, but I feel like every good Science Night episode has to end on a bit of a downer that talks about climate change in space in some way and plasma. We hit the the trifecta right there at the end. So I think that means... We've come to the end of another edition of the Science Night Podcast. But don't worry, we got a whole new season of SciComm coming your way. So make sure to follow us on social media so you do not miss a thing. I am on the site formerly known as Twitter at James underscore read three. So you can follow me as we move into that golden time of year where all five major Philadelphia sports teams can lead to never ending disappointment and anxiety for me. Steffi, where can everybody find you? You can find me on whatever that Twitter thing is X at, um, at Steffi Deem and then Instagram at Starshipping and apparently Predator journals just call my office. Yeah. every Hey, every Predator journal, call Steffi's office. We have an exciting mm-hmm. new article to sell to you or actually give to you and not give you any money. Anyway, Jason, where can we find you? You can find me on the former Twitter site at um, Oregon JM. That was a, that was a very that was a very abrupt ending. Yeah, that's what you. That's where you can find me. There I you have go. nowhere else. Yeah, the upward inflection yeah. threw me. I'm not gonna. Yeah, lie. I don't know. I, uh, I I'm not very uh, hopeful. I'm gonna be there much longer. I gotta be honest. I know. Yeah, no, it's it's. I, I wasn't don't know sure where what to I was go. gonna say next. I don't know where yeah, to go. Me neither. I'm me like neither. lost to right space. Now. Seems like Mars is the it's best place. Scary out there. They can. I'll send my at to Mars. I'll keep my body here, but I will send my at James underscore read three to Mars. 
Follow the show on Twitter at SciNightPod and threads at SciNight and visit our home on the web, SciNight.com, for links to all our social media, past episodes, the stories we talk about, the people we talk to, and our new merch. Remember, we had a whole commercial about this merch. Go buy it. It's great. There is so much to see, and you can see it all at SciNight.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, but until then, have a great night. The Science Night Podcast is a proud member of the River Power Podcast Mill. To find out more about our shows, go to riverpower.xyz. I was in a groove, Jason. I couldn't I couldn't stop to talk about how you're saying these what's ups and all these things. <laughs> you threw me off. <clears throat> I don't know. What it just happening? came out today. I'm not really sure. I feel like new season, new sign on.